Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, um, and our third week of our horror celebration. On this episode, we're going to be talking about politics and horror, and really what we're going to be talking about, it won't be too deep, but we're going to be talking about how horror films reflect the, the current state of society, and how certain things in horror that may on the surface seem to be reflecting one thing also have deeper meanings behind it and how to me like i've said before horror um pushes the envelope a lot more than other genres do and not and i'm not just talking about gore and fright and stuff they're always kind of the punk rock version um the punk rock genre in my opinion so i just wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's one of the things that i love about horror so we're going to get into that today um but before we do that just a couple of quick housekeeping notes uh remember you can now support the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month to 9.99 a month just click listener support in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click listener support and join there and as i've mentioned each month what we're going to do is to donate 50% of what we see from listener support and from what we see from the one ad we have that makes money. The two um, political ads, the ones about voting, do not make money for us. They're charity ads, just to let you know. Um, but we'll be donating 50% of what we see from that and the listener support to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. So I just wanted to highlight one per month to try and get more attention for them. But if you have any feedback, any organizations you want us to highlight, feel free to reach out to us via social media or you can email us as, at well, as well. Excuse me. So now I'm going to go around and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing right now that they're into in pop culture. Start with you, Angela. Hi. So hi, everyone. My name is Angela. Uh, right now what I'm into pop culture right now would be, um, well, I just am getting caught up to the, you know, finale of Supernatural. So it's going to, this past few weeks going to be quite a roller coaster for all of us. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be an emotional time for a lot of people. I have a feeling a lot of people that are on this podcast frequently and, and we are going to do an epic uh, six episodes celebrating Supernatural coming up in November. So keep an ear out for that because that one should be a lot of fun. Probably every episode will be super long, just to let you know. Very I'm trying to do what? Very emotional too, probably. So Probably, yeah. And then there'll also be, um, you'll have to deal with me being very angry when we talk about the dab Andrew Dabbs um, show running days, which is the last few seasons. So just prepare for that, listeners. <laughs> and Rebecca. 
Hello, everybody. Very happy to be back. Thank you, Erin, for having me on again to talk about my favorite genre. I'm Rebecca Jacobson, and what I've been really anticipating lately in pop culture, especially as we are looking towards Halloween here in a couple weeks, is Vision Maker Media is hosting a virtual film festival on the 30th and 31st of horror films by and starring indigenous filmmakers. So I am very excited about that. If you go to Vision Maker Media, uh, they are also based out of my home state of Nebraska. So I highly recommend people check that out and uh, give them some support. I'm very eager to see what they feature this this Halloween. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So that's good to know. Um, and Sasha? Well, Aaron and Rebecca will be happy to know that I finally joined the Shutter Group. I have, I have drank the Kool Aid. I am full on in Shutter. Um, so we just started watching the Mortuary Collection, which is um, basically this girl goes in and this creepy old mortician dude is telling her a series of shorts. Um, so it's actually really kind of fun and uh unfortunately i can't really tell you anything about it because it'd be like spoilers galore but shutter i'm in y'all were right i'm sorry it took me so long <laughs> well that makes me happy i haven't watched that yet but that makes me happy that you joined shutter so. i am in so now you can actually say hey this is on shutter go watch it and i'll be like okay cool <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. And this is Aaron. And what I'm excited about is if you haven't heard the news, Dexter is coming back next fall for a special 10 episode run. I'm seeing Sasha celebrating now too. Um, and I'm very, very excited. If you listen to our Dexter episode, you know how Sasha, Carla, and I, we were all disappointed in the series finale. And I know Michael C. Hall was too. So having him back gives me some hope and I'm hoping maybe this will undo the damage that that last season did that's my hope fingers crossed yes fingers crossed so but I'm really really excited I'm just excited to have the show back for 10 episodes I'm excited to have Michael C. Hall back I'm excited by the fact that this means that maybe Michael C. Hall can still win that Emmy for playing Dexter <laughs> I mean I don't know if it'll happen but still it gives me hope so that's what I'm really excited about Okay, so let's get into politics and horror and also just how horror reflects life. Um, and I think horror does this better than a lot of genres do sometimes. Um, and it can reflect it in a way that can be, I think, both healing and also kind of slap you in the face with reality kind of thing. Um, and of course, this I think this started from the very beginning. You would have, you know, when um, you would have, you know, mutant um, bugs and big bugs and talking about, you know, like the atomic bomb and our fear from that. So then you'd have like, you know, huge, huge spiders, huge whatever they were. Um, so I think it started with that as well and other things. But I just want to start more. We're going to start 60s, 70s, 80s, and then take a break and then talk about politics and horror today. So I want to just start with horror in the 60s and 70s, which I think a lot of that reflected uh, both Vietnam. You had a lot of horror movies reflecting that. I know that um, 
Tom Servini, who is, of course, a very famous uh, makeup artist. He's also directed some movies. He was in Vietnam, and he's said before that a lot of the makeup he does, he actually, the reason it's so realistic is because he saw so many horrific things in Vietnam. And I believe he said that it's kind of therapeutic to be able to do that and to deal with the horrors that he saw in Vietnam by making these fake horrors. Um, and by making them look so believable because he is a master at his craft. So, you know, you, you'll see that. You see it. Um, you've seen Vietnam reflected and also the civil rights movement in the 60s reflected in a lot of George Romero films. Um, I know that even with Last House on the left, that also was a reflection of the times going on and free love. And then you had, of course, the horrible murder and uh, brutal sexual attack and that too. So we're going to talk about that movie as well. So just a, I mean, I know we're talking about horror, so I haven't done as many trigger warnings, but just a trigger warning for this episode really quickly, because since I will be mentioning that movie and that movie is a very, 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 very triggering movie, I think. And a lot of the other movies we mentioned might be triggering as well because of some of the subject matter. So just want to do that up front. Trigger warning for sexual violence is the big one that I'm going to, give there so i'm going to go around and just see if anyone has any thoughts on any films reflecting this if you've watched any movies that reflect this um or your thoughts in general on just w when horror movies do this um and i don't know if there's any 60s and 70s ones that you want to shout out rebecca i mean rebecca sorry angela <laughs> um you know based on what you know Aaron said about the whole you know Vietnam war i could you know attest to, you know, stories that my parents would just tell me even from now, like how Vietnam is like, you know, are affected from during the war, you know, and I would still see, so my parents would still show me some pictures, like some kind of like a disease that they, like they still are, I cannot remember what it's called, but it mutated, you know, some of their skins, their personalities, like still from now, like it's, whatever the you know the bomb that was caused in Vietnam worth you know from USA like it still like affect you know the health you know of the Vietnamese people of the day so you know the horror that was caused you know during the Vietnam war it's you know it's just kind of like sad so and you know a lot of and the thing is I felt so sad about was like in you know in history books you know these days like in usa like we they don't tell us like what is going on they just you know like doesn't show the bad of other culture other cultures so that was the thing that i was kind of sad about that we you know there should be more of like this i don't know how to describe it but like more of more eyes opening info of what is going on that you know America have caused pain and suffering to other countries. So, um, so for this move, like you know, for some of the horror movies, you know, that just you know talk about the whole Vietnam War, like it's mostly true, you know. So, yeah, and and do you mean um, Agent Orange? Is that sort yeah. of is that the chemical that you were? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm at the yeah. bed after three in the morning. So I was like, No, 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 no. It's it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that. So no, don't don't apologize. Yeah. 
and Rebecca. Well, I one of the things that I love the most about horror is that it it can talk about a lot of different issues at the same time and politics is definitely one of them. I will say going back all the way back to the beginning or the beginnings of the horror genre with Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. I there's a lot of different ways that people can interpret what the monster represents. Um, I actually found this really interesting when I was in university and reading the book for like the third or fourth time. And I'm like, it's clearly about the fears of, you know, electricity and what science can do. And uh, somebody was like, uh, no, it's about the war. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> I've never interpreted that way. Um, actually, as far as, as war goes, uh, thinking even back to my film classes in college, going back to German expressionism in things like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, in which is a silent film, which if you guys have not seen it, I highly recommend it because it is really creepy, even as a silent film, that reflected a lot of the trauma, basically, that Germany was experiencing in the years following the First World War. And this sort of idea of this, like this monster coming back from, I mean, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is technically about a somnambulist, so a sleepwalker, but is effectively a zombie. I'm going to make the argument that he's a zombie under control of an evil madman's pulling the strings, who's going out and killing people in the middle of the night and wreaking havoc on this poor German village. So, I then think of like my my film classes again in in school where we got to we I took an entire film class on just the like the Cold War and films. And we actually talked quite a bit in class and looked at several films that reflected specifically the horrors of the Vietnam War because movies started to get a little bit more bold with the idea of showing violence and showing gore in the 60s because you had the war coming into people's homes already on television for the first time with film directly from the battlefield where there was no there was no hiding that anymore and i think that movies really started to reflect that i think you see it with night of the living dead which can be interpreted again as either the the creep of communism or literally the you know the dead from the war coming back to haunt the american people and shambling in all of their broken and bloody mess so i think that's i think it makes a really important turning point in the 60s and 70s for for hollywood films and for film in general for the american public that there's this that specter of war is no longer a glorious thing that the way that we saw it in propaganda films of the 1940s it is very bloody it is very real and i think the best way for people to start dealing with that was in some of these movie monsters in a way that they hadn't in a way that was frankly more gory but in other ways more honest than the ways that we had dealt with movie monsters in say the thirties and forties, which talked about some of the same issues, but were a little safer, I 
So oh, also Invasion of the Body Snatchers, both the, the original one from the 50s and the 1970s ones, both of those very much reflect the fears of the Cold War and communism and all the way, like the 70s one reflects even more of the horrors of the, like, of the Vietnam War itself, because the original one wasn't quite to that point. But yeah, the idea that your neighbors could be taken over by, and that look just like themselves, but be controlled by a completely different foreign power. And you don't know who is real anymore. Freaky stuff. Really freaky stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Sasha. Um, so, f- full disclaimer: um, I when I view horror, and I I already said I was felt woefully unprepared for this episode just because of the like the political slant. So for me, you know, horror definitely is able to talk about all those things, but I also look at it from a different lens. Um, so I'm really glad to have Rebecca's perspective because she's got a very analytical like film perspective on it, which makes it you know, points out things. So like she said, I was going to bring up pod people. Um, For me, the big things in horror is it's that dichotomy of us versus them in these cases. So like the night of the living dead, the body snatchers, you know, people are being taken over. Um, The hills have eyes is very much two different groups. Um, So it becomes that for me, those are the movies that I think have more, you can view them in a more us versus them dynamic and put that political spin on it. Um, It's also very fear of the other kind of base. Like, you know, like Rebecca said, your neighbor could be your neighbor, but are they, or have they been taken over by something else? You know, anything that involves any amount of mind control, Stepford wives, like anything that takes that twist um, can put that fear just in general fear, but also fear of like, is somebody using it? Are they weaponizing it? I guess. So I know that kind of went a little astray, but that's kind of how I view the political components that horror can do because they have that Liberty where they can talk about multiple things at the same time. And everybody who watches it is going to get a different takeaway. And so you might walk away with one view and then somebody else might walk away with a completely opposing view. And when you discuss it, you're like, I didn't see, how did you see that? Where did you see that? I missed that scene, you know, and it's just the way that it comes across. But I think the whole point is it's a very much us versus them approach to that so that it instills the fear of them and makes you want to be one of us. If that seems remotely cohesive. Uh, no, that makes brought up the hills have eyes and would talk about like, so a lot of like people kind of think of the fifties as this very like, and even some of the early sixties is like this very peaceful, like leave it to beaver time. When you look at the movies of the time though, especially sci-fi and horror films of the time were very, it reflected at just how very terrified people were of the bomb. And The Hills Have Eyes also brings up that same, like, what happens with nuclear fallout, this, like, the creation of this monster, of these, like, mutated people living in the in the American desert. Mm-hmm. Going to eat you. 
it's us versus them. It's every sci-fi alien movie too, not just horror. Like it's all of that. You have that us versus them split. But yeah, The Hills Have Eyes is one of those that you just go, oh, make it end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and especially the remake. Sorry, the remake is. Uh, uh. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's very true. And uh, there's a great documentary. There's a couple of great documentaries. One of them is really hard to find. It's called The American Nightmare, and I really, really recommend it because it's all about politics and horror. Um, and it's a very, very good one. And you have, you know, people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter on there. And there's another really good documentary that I was re-watching last night um, called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. And it's all about the history of horror. And what's interesting is, you know, for a long time, actually, horror movies and sci-fi was actually thought of as a as a kid's genre, <laughs> as like the young people genre. Um, and it wasn't necessarily something that always reflected adults adult fears necessarily but you got a lot of that later on um and as john carpenter said in this he said you know the 60s were the end of the 60s were supposed to promise peace and love and all that stuff and it wasn't true everything got worse afterwards and a lot of what happened is you have you know you have the manson family coming about um you have a lot of other things that happened that kind of ended that 60s thought of free love and, you know, that everything is going to be better and we're going to make the world a peaceful place. And so it was like kind of like all those dreams got shattered. Um, and you would see that reflected in horror movies. Like I said, Last House on the Left, I think, is a big reflection of that. Um, we'll get into Rosemary's Baby a little bit, even The Omen. Um, but of course, a lot of that with the Stepford Wives is a good one with taking over where, where it became the monster became a person, the people next door. It became these um, the human beings and no longer like the Wolfman or a big giant spider or something like that. It became the person that you would see every day walking to the store Um or even just someone that you might pick up, you know, you might be going out on a date and that became the evil. Um, you had, of course, Halloween come along. And so then you had some evil spooky man who, even though in later sequels, he's more like this unkillable force. But in the first one, he's more just a representation of evil and an evil man stalking and killing mainly women. Um, so you had that as well. And I think what's interesting about Last House on the Left, um, I want to go to that one right now. And I don't know if anyone else on the panel has seen it, but I just want to talk about that one briefly. Not the remake, but the original, even though the remake is very much follows the same course. But the original by Wes Craven was this movie that was so realistic in its depiction of this brutal murder and sexual assault of these women by this group of guys and and another woman as well um and then eventually they go and happen to go to the house of one of the parents and the parents exact revenge on them so that's that's the whole story and um what's a, what's interesting about it is there's this whole scene and they were talking about in that documentary where after they have brutally attacked this woman who's still alive and she's crawling away. So you see her in the background walking away and you see the three of them standing there and they've got blood and grass on their hands. 
and they're picking this blood and grass off their hands and wiping it. Um, it's a very memorable scene and white wiping it um, on their pants um, as you're watching the victim slowly walking away, who's in shock and da- and dazed, and you don't know if this person is going to survive or not, or what's going to happen. And you see the look on the people who have done this, who have done this horrible crime, um, especially the person who is kind of almost the ringleader who is the probably the scariest person um, Krug on there. And you see this brief look on his face and on everybody else's face where it's almost like they go, what in the world did we just do? Um, It's like they got into this psyche of this group mindset where they did this horrible thing together. And then all of a sudden they're kind of realizing this horrible thing they did And even though they continue to do this horrible thing and they kill the girl, they shoot her um, as she's in a little pond, lake stream thing, they still have this moment, this brief moment where it's like a little bit of that human soul comes back and they realize the horror that they've done. And in a way, you know, uh, Wes Craven even said that this was sort of a reflection of of the times of that peace love of the of um, after the Vietnam War and people having to deal with that. And you could look at that as, you know, this came out in 1972 and you could look at that as people returning from Vietnam and having been in Vietnam and having witnessed horror and having committed horror. Um, you know, you hear a lot about that from from Vietnam vets. My dad was a Vietnam vet and he told me stories that you know he'd tell him in this normal voice but you could see the emotion in his eyes um you know he took me to a replica of the of the vietnam wall the memorial and pointed out people he knew um he talked about how when he came back him and his friend were stationed in la and there were helicopters overhead and they instantly ducked um because they thought they were back in Vietnam and so you see a lot of that and 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 I just think last house on the left is this interesting reflection of that and also this interesting reflection of free love um and kind of the the that dream at becoming a nightmare and turning away and so I just want to get people's thoughts on this if if you've seen it I don't know Angela did you watch this one okay oh that's good uh, Rebecca have you seen last house on the left it's been a very long time. It's actually available on Hulu right now, uh, the original and unrated version. Um, you know, I think as I was thinking about this, you know, you mentioned that we have, it's not only the Vietnam War, I think about how Americans in the 60s in particular, and that obviously influences the filmmakers that are working in the 70s, you start the we talked in our slasher episode about the rise of the slasher film really starting in the 70s and even in the late 60s with things like Psycho. I think I think about things like, like the Vietnam War, like people coming back from the war, but also things like the Kennedy assassination, Lee Harvey Oswald being killed on live television by Jack Ruby just a few days after Kennedy was assassinated. You have Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated and that being widely covered in the public. I think that you start to see a lot more of this because we have television, television so much more prevalent starting in the 60s. You start to have 
that violence really, it, it starts to become more publicly seen. And I think that starts to, we start seeing our horror movies reflect that idea that the, you know, the monster to fear is not necessary, is not like the aliens coming from, from Mars, which represent the communists, by the way. <laughs> it's, it, it's that you can, like, if I remember right in the last, uh, in the um, last house on the left, the reason that the girls are tracked by these killers is because they happen to knock on the door or they happen to ask him if he's got any marijuana. And yeah, yeah, they went out to party and to have fun and yeah. to be living up the free free love and peace and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And I, I do remember at the beginning of the movie, you know, she has this whole uh conversation with her parents about like, you guys need to loosen up. Like, so what? I'm not wearing a bra. <laughs> but the idea that like they they have this initial trust of strangers is ends up is what ends up getting them killed. I do think that that's ultimately a reflection of the fears that you have with some of the, with things like political assassinations happening in, in broad daylight on sometimes on live television uh, and being covered so widely, this idea that it could be, anybody that could shoot you it's not necessarily the machinations even of a foreign government anymore it's it's like sasha said it's us versus them only everyone is them mm-hmm. yeah 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 and i think i think i just think last house on the left is such a such an interesting movie i mean i will never watch it again i'll probably never watch it again because it's a very very painful movie to watch um and it's very triggering and I, I think it's a good thing that it was so explicit in its violence. Um, you know, it was one of those that said, you know, just it's only just repeat. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. Um, because people were supposedly fainting in the aisles seeing this movie. Um, you know, it's because and it's the way it's filmed is so gritty and so in your face. It's very much like um, almost like the way Texas Chainsaw Massacre was filmed and a lot of movies back then were filmed this way where it was very um, gritty and very low budget and very indie and very, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And that makes it even harder to watch. I think that makes it even more disturbing. That makes it even more brilliant in a lot of ways. Um, Cause you don't see that as much nowadays. I think some genres, which we'll talk about later, try to do that, but in a more slick way. Um, but yeah, you, you don't necessarily see that as much now. So I think that that added to it. And I think that also reflected the times a lot. But Sasha, did you see Last House on the Left? I did, but it's been a long time um, since I've seen it. I've seen the remake more recently. Um so, uh, but just based on the conversation, it's, and I kind of have vague memories of it, but I think it's one of those ones that I was like, mm, we're going to put that out of the brain. Um, but it's on the same level for me. And I know I've mentioned it before as I spit on your grave. Like those two kind of have the same feel in that super, like, it's, it's not just violence. It's like hyper violence. 
Um, so yeah, I and Rebecca had mentioned like the trust and Aaron. I know you've mentioned it before. Like you have that just this general like, oh, I'm going to go do this and everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Um, and it's funny because I think having watched so many horror movies as you know a preteen, teen, young adult, like I have these moments where I really want to just like trust everybody and view the good in the world. And then it's like in the back of my brain, that little voice goes, trust nobody. They're all out to get you us versus them. They're bad. You're going to end up a pod person. Um, But yeah, this one definitely is on that same level of just, it's that hyper violence for me. I think. Yeah. And hyper and, and the realism of the violence, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, the, and really that scene of them wiping the blood and picking the blood and the grass is one of those scenes that just, I can just picture it right now. Just even describing it, I can picture their faces. I can picture the feel of it, the look of it. it it's so real that you can almost smell it, you know. It's it's one of those. So I just, I can't imagine seeing it in the theater. It must have been like just beyond, beyond pale. It must have been just a very, very in, intense intense experience to see that one yeah so and i and i can't i wish i could remember exactly how wes craven described making that movie and his feelings of making that movie but if you get a chance because i know he talks about it on the american nightmare so if you ever are able to find that documentary watch it really if you love horror just watch that because it's fascinating it's fascinating to hear uh what these filmmakers were trying to do even stuff that you might not have noticed it's it's really really interesting. Um, before we get into like Rosemary's Baby or The Omen, I just want to briefly just mention a movie that actually came out. It didn't come out in the '60s or '70s, but it's about the Vietnam War, and it's one of my absolute all-time favorite movies. And it's called Jacob's Ladder. And there was a remake that came out. I I don't even want to discuss that. But Jacob's Ladder is uh, with Tim Robbins. And it basically goes back and forth between when he was in Vietnam and then now present day when he's out of Vietnam and he's being stalked by quote unquote demons. And then he's got his um, Danny, I, I'm not going to pronounce his name, his last name, Danny Aiello, you know, um, is his therapist. So he's dealing with that. He's dealing with the fact that his, his son had died, which was played by, who was played by a very young Macaulay Culkin. Um, and he's left his wife and he's dating this other woman who's a lot more free. And I'm not going to spoil what that movie is really about. A lot of people don't like the ending. I think the ending is absolutely beautiful. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that really briefly. I don't know if anyone else has seen that movie because I think that movie (laughs) it's by Adrian Lynn and I, I see Rebecca has seen it. I think that movie is such a beautiful beautiful film in a lot of ways um dealing with the trauma of vietnam and dealing with the trauma of death um and like i said i will not spoil the ending of that movie because i don't think you should be spoiled by it and don't watch the remake first unless you already have because the remake uh, it's just it just pales 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 in comparison um but rebecca do you have it did anyone else besides rebecca see it doesn't look like it Okay, Rebecca, do you have any thoughts oh, on Jacob's Ladder? <laughs> I saw that one, and I had no idea what that was about. Uh, back in in college, the guy I was dating at the time rented it because he knew that I liked horror movies, and I remember thinking it was. Uh, I agree, it's it's 
at both times terrifying and also really beautiful, which is where I think people tend to, as we're talking about politics and horror this week, people tend to get caught up in this idea that we're, that when horror films talk about politics, I mean, we're generally talking about the worst things in society and it's all bleak. But I think one of the powers of fiction and one of the things that the horror genres we've mentioned in a couple of our previous episodes is that you get the chance to have triumph over some of those evils. We kind of get a chance to fix some of those problems in fiction. And I do think that Jacob's Ladder is a is an example of that. And yes, it it is absolutely a reflection of specifically the the inner personal turmoil that comes from having served in war. And I think that it's as relevant talking about Vietnam as it would be for somebody who served in Afghanistan or in Iraq or who served in Korea. I think that it's, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly beautiful. I have not seen the remake. I was only recently aware that a remake happened (laughs) And I was, I was not happy that a remake had happened because I didn't think it needed to be remade. Um, yeah, there are some scenes from that movie that I can still see so vividly in my mind. And I, I highly recommend that anybody, especially if you want to talk about like not just the violence of Vietnam, but some of the the mental scarring and the mental toll that and spiritual toll that it took on the soldiers who came back. It's, uh, it's a, it's a great examination of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tim Robbins is amazing in that movie. Yeah. And, and the remake, I think what they tried to do was, you know, like you're saying, Rebecca, it could reflect uh, a number of wars and that's what they were trying to do with the remake, but they just didn't, they missed what, Jacob's Ladder was really about and they missed the heart of it and you know that it, it's just it's a movie I don't think you can remake honestly and do it justice so yeah yeah okay well let's turn now a little bit more to uh, we've already talked a little bit about it with Last House on the Left but let's turn about let's turn about let's turn to sexuality and and a woman's body and own your body and pregnancy and we're going to turn to Rosemary's Baby which I know you just saw last night right Angela yeah I went to bed at three <laughs> just to finish it also I didn't really also it took me a while to go back to sleep because the uh, movie or show is it a show or movie or would you call it a movie it's a movie movie okay because there was like two parts to it I just didn't know what but I mean I only see I know there was original one but I only saw the remake of it so I didn't know which one the you re- were there's a remake of <gasps> Rosemary's Baby yeah <laughs> I, that's what I was asking it was like it was because Mary baby it was actually I actually watched the remake of it so I, I know there was the original one we was but it was star in um I don't know who it was starring with so uh, the girl that plays in Garden of the Galaxy um cannot remember her name Zoe so, Saldana yes Saldana? yes starring oh. her 
Yeah, I see. I I didn't even know about this. I, oh, well, now Oh, yeah, and it was two episodes, so it was a TV thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, did not know this why? existed. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm like, whoa, okay. okay. Oh, so I'm supposed to watch the old one? I mean, okay, well, I mean, no, I read. It's fine. Read it's fine. No, but but <laughs> I'm interested just to hear your thoughts on, on this, because I don't know if this is it. Does it take place in the 70s? Uh, it actually takes place late. Like, it's like more of a modern kind oh, but okay. it was in Paris I hope that it was the original was in Paris no Mm-mm. okay so basically um uh Rosemary you know she just had like a miscarriage with her husband and basically they were in New York the husband's a writer um they moved to Paris because there was a job offering for him as a writer, change, you know, just trying to like start over, and so, but they met these two people who own a really nice house, or I guess not house, apartment, and so, but you know, there was some weird stuff going on with them. Like Rosemary figured out there was like a history to it, and then there was there was actually some cult which is witchcraft and going on. So I don't know how, like, accurately is the original one. I, I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's the same, just different location. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking it up here on IMDb because it was like, it's a four-hour miniseries. <laughs> yeah, and it's an adaptation of the novel. So it, so it is the, yeah. Yeah, that's and so. And a bed till three. <laughs> that's just so interesting though because I didn't I maybe I knew about this and then totally spaced it but wow yeah yeah that's that's really interesting yeah so the thing I just like noticed like watching just the whole four hours <laughs> of the show was that um you know she Rosemary is having like she, you know she went through like a grief like a whole you know miscarriage and then you know when they met these two people, uh, Roman and I don't know, their husband and wife, um, but different names, but they, she felt like she was like pressure, like in pressure, you know, of having a new baby, like a new life. And then like, they were telling her what to do with her body and like, you know, go see this doctor. And I can just remember a scene where she said, like, no, these is like, 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 this is my baby. This is my body. I like, this is what like, I want to do. Like, I want to do this for myself. I'm tired of listening to other people telling me what is right and who I wanted to see. And so, like, just, it, it was just, like, you know, I don't know how to, like, not spoil them, but it was just kind of, like, you know, scary because, you know, she just found out that, you know, these whole people were into, like, some cult you know sentinus like group that you know um there were also some triggering because like you know there was some like rape scene into it so like just the horror of just like it was just i i don't know like i cannot sleep sounds like it's very very similar to the original except it's more in in the modern time so was it um because um, everybody else has seen the original, right? No, Sasha hasn't. 
Um, so I did, but it's been so long that I don't remember it. Okay. Well, and that do you might mind be another one I... that I just like went, nope. Do you mind spoilers? Oh, on it, spoil then? away. Okay. You do whatever okay. you got to do. I'm good. Uh, and if this didn't happen, Angela, this will be a spoiler for the original. So do you mind spoilers for the original, Angela? I don't mind. I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. So was the husband in on this the whole time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so then it is very yeah. much like very much yeah. so. You know, she didn't know that. Um, you know, she thought, and it's that's just the scary part. Like, you know, talking about like your neighbor who to trust, and like the person that you trust the most, like you know, your like your partner, you know, hides everything from you, and it's just really scary. Like I can, I don't, okay. So we live in Colorado. I don't know if you remember the story of like it, it, that, that, that um, movie itself reminds me of what is, I cannot remember. It was in Colorado hopping two years ago with the husband that killed his wife and his two kids. Yeah. Um, I came at the, Chris Watts from last, from yes. a couple of years ago, Chris Watts. Yeah. yeah that just yes. cruisy reminds me of like, you know, like, you know, Anyone who just sees, you know, this person like is a nice guy, would not do anything to hurt, you know, his, you know, sprout, and then turns out that complete monster. And that's what kind of like reminds me of this, like watching, like it, it scares me because like the people like you trust who didn't think that, you know, they were into like, you know, they were gonna like was part of the rape, you know, like someone you trust, and that's just the scary thing about, you know, here in today's world is just like you don't know like who to trust anymore like even your own family your friends and stuff so um so that took a huge rolls on me so yeah and it's very and you know even today with uh, the political climate and what we're going through right now and that there is still a threat of like Roe B. Wade being overturned. There's still this threat of people wanting to control a woman's body. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why this story, even though it was originally in the 70s and, of course, was updated then, I guess, in 2014, it still is relevant because you still have that fear. And like you were talking about with Chris Watts, who, you know, also his wife was pregnant at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was, you know, his three kids, basically, that he killed and his wife and it ha- and and sadly that happens all the time it's not this you know mm-hmm. phenom- it's not this rare thing and that's what's so interesting about rosemary's baby and um and i know rebecca that you absolutely love this movie so i'm going to turn it over to you okay so this movie scared the absolute bejesus out of me I talked about it before when you talked about representation in horror and I'm going to have to watch the the remake, which thank you, Angela. I had no idea that there was a remake. (laughs) I'd actually like to see that. And I see from IMDb that the remake is directed by a woman. So I think that might add some extra context to it because as much as I love the original, it is directed by Roman Polanski and Roman Polanski uh, is currently evading arrest for sexual uh for rape and uh sexual assault and so the the story is actually based on a novel by ira levine and i hope i'm pronouncing his last name correctly uh from 1967 uh and the book was such a big hit that it became a film 
And Ira Levine also wrote the original Stepford Wives. So I think it's kind of interesting. And they're both from about the same period, written in the late 60s, where you start to see the beginnings of our, like, the modern feminist, what we know today is the modern feminist movement. And I have to say that when I first saw Rosemary's Baby, I saw this in college, and this was around the same time that my roommate, who I was living with, became unexpectedly uh, pregnant. And personal personal story here, she went through a horrific pregnancy and without access to healthcare, to regular healthcare at the time, without support of family, I basically watched my roommate go through. Uh, when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, God, <laughs> this is... This is real. This is thank you. Somebody has recognized the terror of what happens when you're a woman who's pregnant and that now my my roommate was not raped, but in the movie she is raped and she's raped by the devil. And not only is she raped by the devil, but she is basically sold as a bargaining chip by her husband to the occultist, to the, the Satan worshippers so that his career as an actor can take off, so that she can bear the Antichrist. And I so, I I can still picture the entire scene in which she's raped by the devil because there's about, they drug her. And about halfway through, she realizes that what's going on is not a dream. I might actually start crying because I think of like, how very visceral and real that is. And I think it's part of why this movie has endured because I think women watching this all know that fear. And we've known somebody that that's happened to or it's happened to us. And there's so, I mean, she also deals with the idea in the movie that she knows something is wrong with her body even though she wanted a baby and she wanted to to have this child knowing that something is wrong and that her pregnancy is not right and that she needs help and being told by medical professionals, by her husband, by their supposed friends that it's all in your head. You're perfectly fine. No, you shouldn't go see a real doctor. You should take these instead. I'm like, how many women are ignored all the time by their physicians, especially during their pregnancies when they know something is wrong. And it always frustrates me because I've had a lot of male horror fans tell me like, Oh my God, Rosemary's baby is so boring. That movie is so boring. It's not scary. It's <laughs> I, I distinctly remember actually a, Right after I saw it, I had uh, I had another friend, uh, a male friend in college, who's a, a big horror film fan, and I told him, "Yeah, I just saw Rosemary's Baby," and he went, "Oh, that's the worst horror movie." He's like, "It is so not scary." He's like, "You know what that movie is? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Devil. Nothing happens. Nothing happens." And I'm like you sit down and you shush because I am going to tell you why as a woman, this is the most terrifying film I've ever seen because that is 
all of the fears and the traumas that we experience and that we are terrified of every day right there. And it means so much to me that those are reflected on screen and that they're taken as real fears. So I will step down and get myself what a tissue. Scares me, what scares me the most um, was like after she gave birth. Um, and, you know, she was just about to like go kill all these crazy cult people and then like when she finally saw her baby you know they just keep telling her it's like you know it's you know like that's your baby it's like you know you sh you should not kill your baby it's okay and all these stuff and then in the end of the movie she was holding the carrier you know with her baby being super happy like nothing happens in the world like at all and just I don't know why that kind of hurts me the most because it's just like, you know, you went through this trauma and like, and now you're just, you know, it's just like, you know, we're just telling, you know, women's like, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. And, and like, you know, it's like saying like, hey, you should be grateful. You know, you have this baby in front of you, like whatever's happened to you doesn't matter. I don't know. If I see it, if you don't see it differently, that's just how I kind of see it. And like, you know, granted, I would, you know, I, you know, I was like one of the victims of sexual assault. So, you know, I would very much like to like not remember, you know, and be on my way, you know, be happy about and not remember everything that happens. But, you know, you can't, you know, a lot of women can't shut that off you know and just like that's just you know and like the society's just telling us like you know that's how it's supposed to be you know just deal with it yeah no it was just kind of i i no, yeah, you're absolutely right it's it's part of the terror of the film is even like she's and i'm not sure what this is like in the remake but in the original when she looks at her baby for the first time mia farrow's reaction and i give mia farrow a lot of credit because i think she's phenomenal in the film she's gives this look you don't actually see the baby but she just has this look of horror on her face seeing her child but she basically submits the idea that this is now her responsibility and she has to she's got to be mom and care for literally the antichrist and start breastfeeding it. And this is why I think this movie was so important because it came out in the 1960s and late sixties. Roe v. Wade didn't happen until 1973. And you start having these conversations about why it's so important that a woman be able to decide her own reproductive choices and that includes terminating a pregnancy and in fact it even comes up in the movie her she finally talks to some of her her girlfriends and she finally gets a chance to talk to somebody who's basically not a part of this cult and she tells them everything that she's been feeling how sick she's been like how she's she's not entirely sure that this pregnancy is a good idea and her friends immediately suggest they're like uh-uh You've got to get out. You should, they're like, you should get an abortion. They're like, this 
like, this is not healthy for you. You look terrible. You feel terrible. This is not the way a pregnancy is supposed to be. Like, this is not safe for you. And she kind of rejects that advice and she's, you know, physically kept from, from doing so by the cult and by her husband. But I think that like having you, you start to, again, when we talk about like, you have the opportunity in horror films to have like, to have the solution there to be able to overcome it. It's literally like the idea of abortion rights is literally brought up as the possible solution for her. And she has to go through the rest of this horror because it's not available to her. So, yeah, I have a tissue ready because it's like, yeah. such a... <laughs> um, Sasha, do you have anything you want to add on about Rosemary's Baby? Um, not about Rosemary's Baby specifically, but I just want to throw out there, um, and it's weird because it this image, there's a text image that has been coming up in my social media feeds lately, and it refers back to, I have not watched this yet, so full disclaimer there. Um, it's a TED Talk by Jackson Katz, who talks about violence against women, and it's a men's issue. And so there's this quote that has been circulating, and I think it's from, oddly enough, uh, my favorite murder podcast um those two ladies put out a book and it stay sexy. Don't get murdered. And I think they use the quote in there. Um, but it's talking about even the term violence against women is problematic. It's a passive construction. There is no active agent of violence in the sentence. It's a bad thing that happens to women. It's a bad thing that happens to women. But when you look at the term violence against women, nobody is doing it to them. It just happens. Men aren't even a part of it. And so that quote just kind of, because it's been showing up the last couple of days. And so based on everything that Rebecca and Angelo have said about this, like it's very relevant and we talk about it. And I know we do it all the time where we talk about these movies where there's these sexual assaults and there's these horrific things, but it always happens to the women, you know, and we need to, I think for me, and I've talked about this before where it's like that, you know, you got to reframe how you're saying things and viewing things to change. The, it's just a paradigm shift in how I present things. So instead of saying violence against women, it needs to be more specific because it is, it's a generic term. You don't know who's doing it or what it is. And it almost minimizes the act. And I think that's part of the problem. And again, that's what these movies are showing us like, Oh, well, you know, the woman deserved it. She doesn't know any better. Women are dumb. Just do what you're told. Shut up. Take it. And Rosemary is presented, at least in the original film, I don't know, Angela, how she's presented in the remake, but she is presented, uh, she's literally from Omaha, which is my hometown, <laughs> but she is presented as she is the good, mild, meek Midwestern girl, the, the epitome of the good wife, the good Midwestern Christian wife. And yeah, it's, it is kind of considered part of her like naivete that she doesn't see what's going on around her. Mm -hmm. I will say, um, so thinking about the legacy of Rosemary's baby, I 
it was at Mile High Horror Film Festival in the before times, in the long, long ago. And I saw a short film that was a in sort the of way follow up to in the way back, <laughs> in the before the Rona times. Uh, I saw a short film that was the idea was Rosemary and her child got away from her husband and she has been raising him on her own and he is now reaching like 10 years old and the idea of is he actually going to is he is he really evil comes up and rosemary kind of has to finally tell him who his true father is and she addresses the ideas of like well i've told you before that your father is is this actor and that he left us to pursue his acting career. So yeah, in the follow-up husband gets exactly what he wanted out of the bargain with the devil. He's gotten his acting career success. Um, but I think it's a really interesting kind of follow-up to, to the film in this short film version that basically what has happened to this woman and it, sort of like you'd mentioned Angela, like so many women have chosen to, raise uh become single mothers or to raise the child even after a difficult pregnancy or that was unintended or that was a child of rape or sexual assault and i thought it was a really it was a really interesting way of looking looking at what happens after that because i think that's something that we talk about more now whereas in the late 60s and then the lead up in the early 70s to the Roe versus Wade decision, the issue of even continuing the pregnancy was so much more prevalent and so very dangerous because so many women died trying to get illegal abortions that that was really the, the issue of the day. And I think that's why there's so much of that horror you know, so much of that, the horror of Rosemary's Baby is focused around that. Whereas thinking about it in modern times, it's sort of the horror of what do you do even 10 years later when it's no longer the issue of like, okay, or how are you going to get through the pregnancy or how are you going to get through the baby years? It's how do you deal with this person now as a young, uh, almost adult? So. It's very interesting that, um, you know, you, you, like you mentioned, like the original was directed by, why is my finger pink? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, sorry. Uh, was directed by um, someone who is being, you said he was being charged by sexual assault, rape? He, he raped a 13-year-old, yeah. Roman Polanski. Yeah, yes. he raped yeah. a a young girl the remake was directed by a woman which i can now see the difference because rosemary in this new one she was tough like the actor so um so salat me i cannot so zoe saldana Saldana. yeah you know how you know her character is but she was like tough she's like she knows i mean there was some time where she felt like she needed to listen to her husband, but at the end of the movie, you know, she wanted to, you know, go to her friend, go to the doctor that she recommend, but every time that she tries to, like, everybody dies. Like, 
every help that she like you know she can try to get everybody just dies so and thought that there was like the only way that she could just was just be submissive in the end so but yeah i think rebecca i think you would um you know enjoy watching the new reboot so because i haven't seen the old one though but from based on what you told me though i think you you will might like the reboot so yeah that's that's and it's, and it's very interesting that it was directed by a woman because um you know i think roman polanski is absolute and utter scum and so it's it's very hard to in this talk it's very hard personally i will say to be talking so much about a movie that is directed by a man who is an absolute disgusting predator and the and a lot of people in hollywood support him and still do and think he should be back here and think oh he's done the time and 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 is victim doesn't even want him to be you know persecuted right now which frankly the way that you could take that is also she just wants to be left alone and wants this to you know she doesn't want to have to keep dealing with it um but so so it's very it's this it's this weird thing and kind of what we talked about a little bit in our me too episode about you know separating the art from the artist um you know and there are a lot of Polanski films that are supposed to be great and he was he was he's just he's a horrible human being and um, he is he's vile yeah so and i don't care and a lot of people excuse what happened what he did because of the horrors that he witnessed as as a young boy but it, i just but i don't care about that and then also with the fact that sharon tate was you know murdered by the manson family and that was his wife and she was pregnant at the time um but you know that's no excuse for raping a 13 year old and who knows what else he did so you know um but but anyway but um but i think we we covered that really well and i'm not going to go into the omen now just because of of time because i think what we covered here could be sort of covered in that as well um it's a little bit more if you know your your child <laughs> turning away from you the child that you wanted so badly um but we, well, we might get into that in another episode or something but i want to turn now and shift a little bit more into the 80s and in the 80s we'll start with the sexuality first because we've talked about it a little bit already in our slasher episode because the 80s you really saw um sex become more dangerous um in a lot of ways and you also saw women getting punished for their sexuality. Um, you could see that in slasher films. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit about that. Um, Angela, do you have any feedback on that in the 80s or anything with, with slasher films or how women's sexuality was portrayed or punished? Or um, I don't think I have any seen any movies unless you guys named some few, but um, uh, have you seen any Friday the thirteenth movies? Uh new, no. yes. You can I, you can put you later. Sorry. Oh no, <laughs> I mean, it's I watched, fine. I, watched, I lied. Did you I lied. I Did you see Nightmare I, on Up Street? Okay, I lied. I watched like I saw it when my dad was like watching in this living room. Just I wasn't allowed to see it, but I have saw some, you know, some parts of it but not enough for me to kind of talk about like how you know women are being punished i feel like i need to kind of comment it on what you guys talk about it first and then i'll probably okay. just like okay. okay like so okay rebecca i i will say just uh briefly we talked about this in our slasher episode and i know that sasha is the slasher 
super fan here in our our group today. So I'll let her do uh, uh, do a full analysis of the slasher genre. But it um, it is very uh, again we we get to the eighties and we have the start of the HIV and AIDS epidemic in the United States. And the, first of all, for those of you who don't remember the 80s or were not alive in the 80s, you should know that the Reagan administration really, really messed up the response to the AIDS crisis right from the beginning. And there was a lot of, first of all, there was a lot of blame that this was uh, from the evangelical and the more religious communities that this was, this whole epidemic was a God's revenge on the gay community, specifically that this was God's vengeance on the free love of the 60s and 70s, that this this was a punishment for immoral sexual behavior, which is why I think it's kind of interesting that you don't have, like, this. the slasher films have often been referenced as the reason why the virgins live and sluts die rule of the slasher films of the 80s became so prevalent is because of this AIDS epidemic and because the idea that sex was now literally deadly. And I was like, you know, it's kind of interesting that it's typically straight men and women who are being punished for this, as opposed to the way that the pandemic, the epidemic was initially presented as a gay disease, that it was only affecting gay men. And so I was like, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that (laughs) it's it's the straight women and the straight men who are paying for it by having sex in the slasher films as opposed to gay-coded characters or something. Although gay-coded characters are often either the villains in a lot of these films or they're the, uh, they can also be victims. But yeah, I I think that's where a lot of this, again, we're reflecting uh, literally the, the death toll that starts taking place in the eighties. And that honestly gets laid at the, the door of the political administration at the time. Uh, And if you want to know more about how the the Reagan administration really screwed up handling that whole crisis, there's a couple of documentaries out there that are really good about talking about it. Uh, It is, uh, it's pretty horrifying. Like that it's a situation where, I would frankly rather deal with the, I would rather deal with Jason (laughs) wielding a knife in the mask than I would the, the actual horrors of living through the, the early AIDS crisis in the United States. Yeah. Lots and lots of, lots of people die dying. Like you said, and, and a lot of that, that death is on Reagan's hands and, the administration and a lot of other people. So yeah, that was, it's a very, very sad time. Um, and uh, Sasha, do, sorry, right, so were you about to say to, something? Oh, no, I was going to just comment, um, totally unrelated to film, but you know, Rebecca was telling us like how, you know, it's not always, it's always the women or the gays that get punished. Where, I don't know if you heard recently about JK Rowling new books. 
who mm-hmm. it might be a someone told me it might be like a horror book kind of thing where she's Aaron <laughs> you look you like you want to say something no 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 I'm just I'm just responding uh, but it was like you know like this whole you know the trend you know gender thing that she have a lot to say about it but she can't so the only way that she could you know do it and just write this horror book where a man is a serial killer and like just you know kill his victim but dress up as a woman or as like being a woman so i so it was like this whole representations kind of thing that just that that's what was kind of reminding me of it's just kind of sad that you know these you know some of these movies even in books like horror books and movies they're just like always get people you know like the maoris is always the monsters mm-hmm. um if that kind of makes sense kind of thing so yeah no it does it does i mean silence of the lambs even look back at psycho norman bates um dressing as his mother yeah and jk rowling's is just a a piece of garbage so she's just a piece of trash that's all i was that's why that was my response to it. it's just she's she's just a complete garbage mm-hmm. um so sasha yeah, can you re-ask the question? Because at the beginning of it, the doorbell rang and my husband's friend showed up and they got loud. And so. <laughs> just, just sort of how um, films in the '80s, especially slasher films, uh, how they portrayed women's oh. sexuality. Um, maybe punishment for being too sexual, uh, punishment for having sex in general. Yeah, you weren't allowed to have sex in the 80s. You would die in a horror movie. It was a given fact. We talked about it in the slasher one. Like, you just, you're dead. If you even thought about sex, I think you died in the movie. It was just like, it was a whole thing. And it was ridiculous. Um, And I think the way that, it was really demonizing it. It was like, and I don't know if it was like blowback from the free love that now that women were into their own sexuality and owning it and knew what they wanted, that now there's consequences to using your voice to get what you want. You know, it, it almost has that feel like, oh, now you know what you want. And now men are like, wait a minute, what? I have to wait, what? I actually have to, like, think about this and put in effort? Wait, I don't know that I want to put in effort. Okay, we're just going to send you into a horror movie and kill you. That way I don't have to put in effort. You know, that's how it feels. I know that Rebecca's over there dying, laughing, and, you know. But that's that's my two cents. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> it's true, though. It's it's really, really true. I mean, it's uh, it's men losing control of women and wanting to control them. And it's like, yes, I want to see that TNA, um, uh, you know, because in those movies you had so much TNA, so much TNA in the 80s in, in horror films. But then immediately you would have punishment for that. So it's just like, okay, you can do this for a little bit for us to titillate us and then we're going to punish you for titillating us. And, you but- know, and like I said, I love slasher movies. So, you know – Maybe I'm part of that that problem too, but at the same time, it's just it's it, it's just this interesting dichotomy where it's like we want to see this we want to see the sex, but then we want you to be punished for it. And I think you know as much as it reflects the AIDS crisis, I think it does. Like you were saying, Sasha, reflect a lot of this backlash against the '60s right. and free love and all that stuff, and the '70s too, because 
people were still, you know, having yep. unprotected sex all the time in the 70s, too. So it's very much a pushback against that, I think. I think that's part of it. Um, well, let me bring you... up, um, I don't know where you would put it, but Ripley from the Alien series, right? Mm-hmm. She is strong in her own right. She is a heroine and everything, but they make her non-sexual. She's not, you know, they don't put her in any position where she's like deemed what would be traditionally attractive or appealing. They just make her this strong woman. And so it's funny, like you either have to be hypersexual or you have to be non-sexual at all in these movies. And if you're hypersexual, you die. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to throw her out there because I thought that was an interesting thing with her character. Yeah, and she's very much a final girl. Oh yes, very much a final girl. And um, and I think with her, she's an interesting final girl because she never has, at least in my mind, the moment where she appears quote unquote weak or quote unquote naive. She always, to me, is strong from the very first frame of the movie. So that's what's interesting also about her. But yeah, that the, the sexuality is kind of taken away. Um, and I think that's because she would be even more threatening if she was really empowered on her sexuality and then also really empowered in everything else. So that would be almost too much for the men to handle. Um, <laughs> that would really blow their minds. So yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, well, just because of time, I'm going to move on to another another part of the 80s. The 80s is known as, you know, the decade of greed, the decade of, um, you know, a lot of a lot of excess in that where it was kind of you had the rise of the yuppie um, and you had Reagan era there. And we've talked about that with AIDS, but you also had that with the economy. Um, and I want to talk briefly about uh, the movie. The Dead Zone, which came out in 1983, uh, which stars Christopher Walken, and it is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel, and it's about a guy who awakens from a coma to discover he has psychic abilities, and there is a part in there where he's supposed to be trying to stop um, a politician in this movie played by Martin Sheen. So I just want to see if everybody has seen this movie. Um, (laughs) Sasha's shaking her head no. Did you see? No one has seen this one? Oh my gosh. Okay, well then maybe we won't talk that much. But anyway, that's that's a really good one that deals a lot with anxiety, with what do you do if you know that someone is going to pose a threat to our democracy. Um, this could even work for today. Um, and you know this. And how do you go about doing that? And especially when you're being when nobody believes you um, and you're dealing with the fact that you have to deal with all the, this newfound ability and how to, how do you um, harness that and how do you use it for good? And how do you use it? If you could use it for bad, how do you stop horrible things from happening? Um, And it's, it's just a really, really good movie. And Christopher Walken is, is really, really good. And it's directed by David Cronenberg. So I recommend that one for all the people that haven't watched it for all the people on on the panel. Um, So that's, that's one. And yeah, we can, we can talk about people under the stairs. I just wanted to mention that. So has anyone else other than Rebecca seen people under the stairs? <laughs> I'm sorry Aww. to laugh. 
it's it's a West Craven movie. Remember it's, my yeah, disclaimer Western. at the beginning that yes, I was woefully unprepared. I know, but yeah. I, I don't even know if people necessarily even think of this one as a political movie, even though it very much is. But I think that some people don't necessarily think of it that way. But is I know this the one where they live in the walls. Pretty. Much. They're literally under the stairs. Pretty much. Yeah. Maybe I did see it. I'm not going to be any help the, because I don't remember it. You have the terrible white landlords that have the black family living in their in their tenant. And there are literally like mutated monstrous white people living under the stairs in the walls. And it is okay. I am here today to bust all of the happy thought bubbles that people have around Reagan's America. (laughs) (laughs) This is my mission in life because I know a lot of contemporary conservatives like to think of really deify Reagan and have this very, I think that the eighties gets this very nostalgic glow to it in the same way that the fifties did. Uh, This was a time of prosperity and fun of America. And there was really a lot of terrible shit that went down and apologize for my, my language. I, but (laughs) there was a lot of terrible things that happened in America that really is, that were part of the political administration at the time that further increased the divide between the lower and the upper class and especially along racial lines. And I think that People Under the Stairs is a great example of that. I didn't see this one until a couple of years ago, maybe five or six years ago at this point. And we've kind of mentioned the basic plot already, which on its own is very much a reflection of basically what's happening with housing during the 80s where you have you still have black people who are living with white landlords who have poor housing accommodations and there's this there's this like literally this monster living just below them that wants to come out and eat them and first of all the the landlord couple they are they call themselves mommy and daddy, uh, which are they're very clearly patterned to kind of look a, like a little bit like Reagan and Nancy, like they're and it's really creepy because they're they call themselves mommy and daddy. They're brother and sister. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> nice extra creepy layer to it. But at one point in the film, so the the little boy, it's a little black boy in the movie is the one who becomes suspicious about what's uh, what's actually living in their basement, what's living in the walls. And first of all, the movie is very gory, um, but he is the one who tries to, tries to get help. And I don't know if you guys care if I spoil the, the movie for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he is, this little black boy is literally killed by daddy and fed. His body is fed to the white monsters living under the stairs. And I'm like, well, there you go. Look at like wonderful depiction of what's happening, particularly to young black men and black people in general under the 1980s in America, where you're being killed off by the administration through housing policies, through 
racial incarceration policies, through economic inequality and injustice, and being fed to this white monster of capitalism. I think there's actually a lot of 80s horror movies that in which capitalism becomes the villain. And I think you can see that in the, even things like the 1986 remake, uh, musical remake of Little Shop of Horrors, in which the desire to gain money and it's both the way out of poverty, but it's also literally what destroys everyone and creates a monster that literally feeds on blood. Which is where I don't think it gets talked about enough in 80s horror films. <laughs> but I feel like the, the horror films of the 80s are one of the few genres that actually talk about some of the problems that we were having in 80s America. As opposed to comedies, which I think of things like Ghostbusters, in which Reagan era politics and the small business against the big nasty EPA government is the hero of the story <laughs> to which I'm like, well, that's basically like the, the idea that everybody has of the eighties is that this is the, the rise of the true conservative, like small businesses taking down the big government and saving America. When in reality, it's actually much more like the people under the stairs. And that is my rant on Reagan's America. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think people people romanticize that in a way. You know, I was raised by a single mother. Basically, my dad wasn't in my life until I was five. And then he was kind of in and out. Um, but and my my sister and I have different dads and my sister's dad was wasn't around. But, you, you know, I was raised by a single mom who we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of things. We didn't have those luxuries that supposedly everybody had in the Reagan era. Um, and yeah, people romanticize it a lot, especially right now when people say, you know, Reagan would never approve of Trump, all this stuff. Reagan would have never done what Trump did. But Reagan did a lot of horrific things. Reagan was not a good person. Um, he was not a good man. And we tend to romanticize a lot of these people when there's another politician that seems to be worse than those politicians. Like we did the same thing with, sorry, but with McCain, we did that with McCain. We're doing that with Bush right now. Um, you know, you see that, that a lot. So it's, so it's just an, it's interesting because I'm wondering 20 years from now, if we're still around, um, how will, if there will ever be anyone who will, God forbid, romanticize Trump. But also, it'd be interesting to see people talking about how Bush was romanticized around this time because of Trump. You know, that's really why Bush is romanticized right now, because people hated Bush for a long time. And then you had this horrible, evil man come along and it made it, you know, easier to somehow stomach him and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's an interesting, which doesn't necessarily have everything to do with what we're talking about, but I think it doesn't in some, it does in some ways. Cause I think definitely the nine 11 and, and everything like that was reflected in horror a lot. And we'll, we'll get into that at, in, in a little bit here, but yeah. So you had that and, and oh, another, sorry, another film about eighties greed that another great horror film that is all literally about eighties greed is American psycho. Yeah, I was going to mention that in just a second here. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, which isn't 
it takes place in the 80s, not from the 80s, of course. But yeah, that's, that is the epitome of talking about 80s greed and talking about 80s misogyny. Um, you, you know, you could even take it as talking about the misogyny you would see even in slasher flicks. Um, you know, because there is a whole scene in American Psycho where he's working out and he's watching while he's working out he's watching texas chainsaw massacre and watching people getting murdered and you know it's just it's very much a portrait of wall street and a portrait of wall street guys and a portrait of those people and a portrait of reagan's america that really is what that movie is and the book you can make arguments that's uh, that's not what the book is about either, and a lot of people hate the book. Uh, when we do our episode about American American Psycho, we're going to talk about the book a little bit too, just because I think it's important to mention that too. But um, but yeah, but but you know, and the interesting thing about American Psycho is there was a time when Oliver Stone was going to be directing that, and Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be starring in that. And that would have been an absolute complete disaster. And I think Oliver Stone would have utterly missed the actual meaning of that. And that's why I think it's so important that that movie was directed and written by women, which I think is very important to have in horror because people often miss that, that there are female horror directors, horror makers, um, and we need more of them. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And I want to brief, I want to see, has anyone else seen the movie Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's another one you guys need to go out and see. I know that is streaming right now. I can't remember. I know it's free on IMDb TV, but I think it's on either Hulu, HBO Max. No, it's on Shudder. It's on Shudder. It's on Shudder. So, yeah. (laughs) So go watch that because it's about – it's loosely based on the serial killer, Henry Lee Lucas. Um, And it is a very terrifying movie, but I think it's – in a way, a reflection of the 80s and a reflection of white men in the 80s, white men that did not have this Wall Street stuff, who were, um, who didn't have the, who weren't in this um, level of greed. They didn't have the money. um, They didn't have the power. And so they're getting a lot of their power from murdering women. Because if you don't know, Henry Lee Lucas did not kill alone um and michael rooker plays henry and it's, it's just it's a really really good one i it's just i think it's essential for horror fans to watch this movie so yeah it's on shutter i was like i know i saw it somewhere just recently that it was on there um yeah so go watch that one so since no one else has seen it we're gonna go ahead and um take a break and when we come back we're gonna talk about um, current the current political environment and also a little bit about after 9-11 and how I think torture porn actually actually kind of comes from that so we'll be back in just a minute so I want to turn now to mainly the early 2000s and then today and talk a little bit about how horror reflects the political environment and society right now. We're going to definitely dive into the purge series because I think that's an interesting one. Um, We might even, or maybe I just will, if I'm the only one who's seen it, uh, talk briefly about the movie, the hunt. Um, (laughs) Okay. I see someone else has seen that one. Um, But I want to also just, I want to mention torture porn again. And I know I keep bringing this up, even though I hate this genre, but 
what's interesting to me when I was watching that nightmare um, in red, white, and blue is a lot of people said after 9-11 happened and after you saw a lot of horrific stuff, not just from 9-11, but a lot of the horrific stuff that we did as Americans and a lot of the torture we inflicted that a lot of people said everything you were seeing that horror could no longer be horrific unless it was to the absolute extreme. And that's when you started seeing stuff like Hostel, um, the later Saw movies. Because I will argue, I recently listened to, um, I've mentioned this podcast before, Pod Mortem, which they talk about horror movies. And they did an in-depth review of Saw, the first Saw movie. And they talked very much about how it's really not torture porn. And they never set out to make it that way. It was more an indie and they didn't have very much money. And that's how certain things just came about. And there's actually not as much blood as you think in your head there is in that movie. Um, But, of course, the sequels, I think, are different. But I just quickly just want to talk about that and how upping the ante of horror and upping the ante of what we see in the blood and guts and making it more extreme. And then of course you had the remakes of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was more extreme than the original, because if you don't know the original actually doesn't have very much blood at all. It's not gory. Like people think it is. It's more, you just see it in your head because you don't actually see most of the violence. Um, But that's not the case in the remakes and the Hills have eyes remake um, and stuff like that. And just upping the ante, um, to even more extremes and how that might be a reflection of people responding to 9-11 because I just think that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. Um, do you have any feedback on torture porn at all and how that might reflect things, Angela? Sorry, I haven't seen that movie yet, so I don't think I'm much of a help. So. Okay. <laughs> that's that's fine um i could i could help with the purge part but <laughs> yeah yeah and we'll be yeah, yeah we're definitely gonna which even the purge could even be accused of having some torture porn elements to it so it definitely has extreme violence um rebecca okay so thinking about politics being reflected in horn you mentioned september 11th we talked like so i um I'll reveal my age here. I was in high school when September 11th happened. So I was in college during the beginning of the Iraq war. And then I went on to become a journalist still covering a lot of the, um, a lot of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars that are spoiler alert, still going on. (laughs) So, this was definitely a very meaningful era in horror to me. And one of the first things that I think of coming along the, as far as like news things that came along that really, I think maybe inadvertently inspired the torture porn genre was the torment of prisoners in Abu Ghraib. And the, because again, this is much like in the sixties with the Vietnam War, those pictures were released and released widely, and this time not just through television, but through the new fangled medium of the internet, with that being everywhere. And the when I think of, I, I also hate the torture porn genre, but I do think that there's absolutely this idea in horror film that we're only just starting to 
get away from again that comes around in the early 2000s that the idea of torture and the idea of making it as bloody and as gory as possible is almost necessary not only for the shock value but also because it reflects this very real torture that's happening to prisoners at this time and something that I think Americans were really grappling with because there's, there was definitely a political, um, a political view that that torture was necessary and that that was somehow good and right. And that these are the bad guys, no matter what they might tell you. Again, we have a lot of that us versus them idea that comes out. And at the same time, I do think what torture porn does do, and again, I don't watch much of this genre uh, because I don't like it, but I do think that one of the things that it does do is it does get you to empathize with the victim of the torture. And I think in some ways that's a very um, left or humanist view of this of this genre it's probably the nicest thing i'll ever say about it (laughs) and i think that's something that was until those abu Ghraib pictures came out until there started to be more discussion about the actual impact and the hearings in congress about waterboarding and about these torture techniques i think that that's what sort of brought this and I I see this come up in in horror films then with that torture porn genre, this idea that maybe we should actually think about what this means, what all of that pain actually means. Like if we can get our audience to really think about how horrific this is and how terrifying and painful that is, maybe there's some empathy then for the victims of real life torture. Yeah, no, that's 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 an interesting way to put it. It's um, yeah, I'll I'll save my thoughts just a second here. But um, Sasha, do you have anything you want to add about that? Um, yeah, also not a fan of the torture porn. I don't think any of us are, especially as women, since it tends to be against women. Um, but I do going back to Saw real quick. I I would agree that the first one is not. The ones after that took a twist. Um, you know, they they followed more of the hostile formula. But the first one, I agree um, that it is not. I just want to throw out that I think the increase in blood, and I like Rebecca's perspective about, you know, all of the media being more readily available. But I also feel that after, and I don't know that it was a 9-11 specific thing, but really more the interwebs that have caused this phenomenon where I think we've got a certain almost dumbing down where you have to be spoon fed everything. And so I think a lot of the torture porn and a lot of the really gory movies that have come out lately are because they don't want the audience to think it in their head, like psycho, you know, in the original Texas, you know, they're, you're right. There's no, real blood and gore in any of those. And they're terrifying. They're 
psychologically terrifying, but now movies don't do that psychological as much, and they do more in-your-face. Here, we're going to let you watch somebody get their jaw removed. Here, we're going to have somebody cut off the top of their head and eat their brain while they're still alive because your brain has no feeling. Like, come on! We don't... You can leave... Would it leave something to the imagination? I don't know. It just feels very spoon-fed, forced in your face. Um, and I, But it, for me, it reflects a lot of society in general. Like, everything is very much in your face. And I don't know if it's because of social media and because of the interwebs and the easy access that everybody has to everything that they felt they had to up the ante. But that's where I feel like it comes from. And again, not a torture porn fan just because of the I don't need all of the graphic graphic uh, violence of things. Sometimes just hearing it is scary enough. You know, and I don't I don't know if any of you have seen Ratchet on Netflix yet. Um, yeah. Only the first so, episode. So not to like spoil anything, but there is one scene in one of the later, like the second or third episode, and they don't show it, but you hear it, and hearing it is more than you need. Because you can picture it in your head. And for me, that's where it needs to be back to. So, like, they could have gone very tortury with that scene, and they chose not to. So I'd like to see more of that in our horror as we move forward. And that's my soapbox. <laughs> Which is pretty It's pretty remarkable that you didn't see a lot of stuff in there things us how it's uh, Ryan Murphy and Ryan Murphy tends to want to go overboard with things all the time I mean I love a lot of his stuff but uh, I have a lot of issues with a lot of his stuff yes exactly yeah Rebecca just did the, <laughs> did the um, did mimicking like jumping overboard because that really is what he does but yeah I know exactly what scene you're talking about Sasha and I remember watching it and just cringing and squirming in my seat I still haven't finished the series to be honest um, I kind of got off on a of <laughs> kind of turned into another series, getting into another series, but yeah, yeah, he tends to do that. And another thing that was, that is interesting about um, the hostile movies, I'm just going to point that out because as I've said, I hate Eli Roth and I hate torture porn, but the interesting thing with hostile, the beginning before it gets to the torture porn type um, part is this is very much a movie reflecting um, xenophobia. It really is. Um, these American men coming to this other country and they've got this American ego, um, very xenophobic, um, thinking that the people in this country are not on the as not not as smart as they are, not as up on things as they are, that they're all behind the times, that they're all living under a rock and also just thinking that they are far superior to these people. And that to me was the interesting part about that movie. Cause I actually think the first hostel is a really, really good movie up until the torture part, up until you discover, you know, that there's the secret underground of people who are paying money to torture and kill people. Um, up until that part, I think it's a really interesting movie and a really interesting reflection of the United States and especially at that time, how we view um, other countries. And we still do now. You know, I mean, our uh, Trump is a reflection of that and the people who support that man are a reflection of that. 
So that to me is the good part of that. Um, and one little thing I want to just curve into here, and I know maybe nobody else has seen this movie, um, but I do want to mention this because I think what's interesting about the movie, the strangers, which I don't know if anybody has seen this one. Maybe. Is that the one where they're wearing like the animal masks? They're wearing different masks. Yeah. And um, you have the couple, um, who are coming back from like a wedding and they're together mm-hmm. and yep. Scott Speedman is, is the husband. And then, um, Oh my God, what's her name? Um, Steven Tyler's daughter. Oh, Tyler. Yes. Thank you. Um, are, you know, they're going through a rough patch and then they end up getting, you know, spoilers, hijacked. but murdered and hijacked and tortured by strangers for no reason. They're just doing it because they were home. There's no reason. There's nothing behind it. You never get to know the people. And the only reason I bring this up right now is is when we're talking about how we are almost desensitized in a way, how um, everything has to be in our face and shown and seen. I think in some ways this movie, which to me is kind of an underrated gem of a horror movie. I think that mo- the movie is really good. It's absolutely terrifying because of the fact that there's no reason behind this. It's another one where the people, you know, next door to you could be evil and horrible. Um, and to me, this movie in a way reflects how we worry that people are so desensitized to violence that they will commit violence just because, um, you know, it could even be a reflection of school shootings and other mass shootings. Um, and so I just wanted to mention that one briefly because it, it just popped into my head that I think that movie in a way reflects that. And even though there might, it might be considered that it has some torture porn elements to it. It's a, it's better developed. It's more interesting story. I think, yeah, it's, it's very minimal torture porn, but, um, you know, it's, it is extreme. The violence is extreme when it is seen, but it has a better story to it. It's very creepy. Um, the sequel is more ratchet, ratchets up that violence. So I won't <laughs> necessarily recommend that one. Um, but what I want to turn to now, because I think this series and the television show, because there is a television series as well, um, can be accused of having some of that torture porn in it. I don't think so much in the very first one, but a lot more in the sequels, um, is the Purge series. So I want to talk about that. So Angela, I know that you have seen these and you have thoughts on what, what are your thoughts on the Purge movies? Or even if you've seen the television show, I don't know if you've seen the television show, but. I didn't know there was a television show. You say it was on Hulu, I guess. So it's yeah, it was a USA Network show, um, okay. but it's available on Hulu right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need to check that out tonight, though. But I don't remember if there was like four Purge movies or just three. It's four. There's. I know there's at least three. Um, I think there's three. But it, I but I know them. there might be four. Is there four or just three? Because I know the the last one that came out was more about the creation of the Purge, like the first Purge. Um, I think that was the last one that came out okay. was that one. Because you know, the second one was like, because there was one that was the election year one. Yeah, um, and there was yeah. the other ones with kind of having the, the whole Black Lives movement kind of feels to it. Mm-hmm. There's that one too. But but yeah, so um, four? Four movies? Five? Five? There, there's four what? 
out. So there's the oh. purge in 2013, mm -hmm. the purge anarchy in 2014, oh, yeah, the purge election year 2016, okay. the first purge 2018, and now in 2021 we will have the forever purge. <laughs> Sorry, just the name. <laughs> okay. Just FYI. I like how, like, I noticed, like, the reason why, you know, some of these movies got so popular was because the way when it was, like, released on, like, during this whole time of, like, just politics, like, the election years, and then, like, the, you know, there was one that was, like, you know, tours against the poor and, you know, this, and then the Black Life movement as well, but, um, Basically, if anyone who doesn't watch The Purge, so, I mean, I probably won't, I mean, it's been a while since I watched it too, but basically the whole, you know, the basic of, like, you know, they created a, um, laws that, you know, like, there's, you know, like, crimes are, like, so low because, like, you know, once every year, you're allowed to do whatever you want, you know, stealing, killing people, all these stuff, so, you know, just, like, you know, all these, you know, Americans just, like, pulling this in, and then on the day of the purge, they just, like, go out and just kill people. So, um, I just, know, like, the, there was, I cannot remember, like, because there was, there's was, there's a lot of movies of this. I don't know which one is it, but I know which, like, I, I remember one of the purge where, you know, it was all about, you know, um, basically against the poor people, or, like, the one that inequalities like basically if you don't have the money and you don't you know have the resource you're just going to be the one that dies and it always shows like the rich people who has all this money that they can get all the securities and you know and basically that's what this whole scene was about you know like you, from what all this four movie that's what it's telling me like the rich wins in all of the four movies like or the one that has like the more resource or whatever it is. I don't know if you would agree with me, Aaron, on this, but that's what it's like telling me about. So very much. It's very much about that. Yeah. And and I think you could say almost every purge movie is about that. Is about like like um, you know, I know the purge anarchy. Um, you know, because the first purge focuses more on a family that has money has the resources they have that security mm -hmm. system yeah um yeah and i'll talk a little bit about what, what i think that's a reflection of um but you know then you have the other ones focus a lot more on the people who don't have the money or the resources or the people that are trying to fight that um especially the first purge is really a lot about um inequality and racism and, you know, the first people signing up for this and volunteering to do this and knowing and to being told they're going to get money for this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're very, it's a very, very interesting series. So, oh. Sasha, what are your thoughts on the purge? Mm -hmm. Um, so just echoing you guys again, you know, the first one is very different from the sequels because the first one does focus on that kind of family and the, you know, the security system they have and how things fall apart. Um, is it the second one that has the guy that's kind of the vigilante? Yes. Like, is that mm -hmm. his, if I remember correctly, his son was killed in the 
yes. first purge and or in a purge, and so now mm-hmm. he's like retaliating, and then he ends up <laughs> accidentally kind of inheriting this ragtag group that he's kind of mm-hmm. taking care of. Um, <laughs> but he's very like vigilante against it. Um, I and I know we're gonna that Aaron's gonna bring up the hunt, but the first purge and the entire series reminds me and the hunt reminds me of there's an old movie that ice T was in. I always call it the most dangerous game, but that's not it. It's like the hunted or something. And it's the same story where like they take a group of people to this private Island and rich people basically pay to hunt them. Um, and so I, that is always in my brain and I know I'm probably the only person on the planet that has ever seen that movie. Um, but yeah, it's the dynamics at play in the Purge movies. Um, and they got the creepiest masks. Can we just talk about the masks for a second? Like, <laughs> what is with that? Where did they find those? Who created them? Because you need to be voted off the island, my friend. Not okay. Their masks are super, super creepy. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of masks and general for that reason like you know i mean i'm good with michael myers and jason like put on a hockey mask and put on the michael mask and i'm fine or even the screen mask is fine but the in like you said the strangers where they're wearing animal masks i'm just no no um so yeah the the purge series is definitely a political societal um commentary there's no way around it you can't interpret it any other way than a commentary on society and politics. It's just, it's so in your face. It's, there was also a scene where, like, the rich was bidding off on the poor people on who, yep. you know, who they can just kill. And, like, it was, like, basically just telling the world, like, we we control you. Like, the one we had with money, we, we, we have the money, we can control you. You know, capitalism. It's basically this whole greed and capitalism going back to it. You know, it's just, ugh. that's the true horror there in our government these days. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and the TV show, um, I will say just briefly, I won't spoil a lot of the TV show, but there is a whole, the TV show basically covers one night, um, one purge night, and just follows a few groups of people. Some of them converge, some don't. There's even like this cult where, um People want to basically sacrifice themselves to the purge. Um, it's very that's very creepy. But there is a whole section of that about a party where these rich people who are very clearly um, supposed to reflect Trump supporters are getting together to throw this party where they're going to be honoring the purge and doing stuff. And everybody gets a mask, like they pass them out, like. Um, hors d'oeuvres almost and everybody gets one and it's about this couple that's there and how they deal with that and also dealing with this other thing that happened in their personal lives so um, yeah the purge series is a very very interesting one I purge to me is very much a reflection of white liberalism because you can see that Ethan Hawke and his family especially Ethan Hawke is supposed to be the good guy they're supposed to be the the good people um and they have this security system but they're still not letting people in 
Like they're not letting people that are not as fortunate as them in. They don't want to. They want to hide away. So while at the same time, I think they don't necessarily support the purge, at the same time, they are not fighting against the purge. Um, They are still benefiting from the purge in some ways. Um, I believe, doesn't Ethan Hawke's character like help create these security systems, right? He helped create them. So he's benefiting Mm -hmm. financially from it. Even though he keeps saying he doesn't necessarily support it, even though they kind of do at the same time, it goes into the whole thing of I'm a good white liberal. Um, I know this isn't the best thing. I know other people deserve to be protected, too. But when push comes to shove, I am not going to help you. That's to me what I, what I think that first purge really reflects. Um, you know, it's kind of like what I think, and we'll talk, we, I think we should mention this movie briefly too, is, um, that's what I think Get Out is also a reflection of. Get Out is very much about white liberalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that one reflects it. I think the other ones are a lot more about, um, inequality and racism in this country. And I like the Purge series. I do wish the Purge series actually pushed things further, to be honest, um, I kind of wish they delved a little bit deeper into that inequality. Um, I, I know it's very much there, but I just, I don't know. I always want more of it. I want it to be pushed further. Um, yeah. So those, those are, those are my thoughts on, on that. And, and I guess the fifth one is supposed to be the last one, <laughs> but they say that all the time. I didn't know there was even going to be a fifth one. So I didn't know either. So <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that is. So yeah. So briefly let's, Let's get into Get Out. We did a whole episode on Get Out, so I won't don't want to talk about it too much just because uh, we we did a, over two hours talking about this movie a while back. So if you really want to delve deep in that, I recommend listening to that episode. I think the discussion that Carla and I had on it was, was really good. Um, but I want to talk about that. And also we can talk briefly about Us as well because I think Us is a reflection of this. And even Us in a way is a reflection of the 80s too. It has some 80s stuff in there. Um but so we can talk about actually let's just talk about Jordan Peele. Sorry guys, I'm just kind of doing it on the fly here. But let's talk about Jordan Peele and the politics that he brings into his horror movies, Get Out and Us. Uh so has everyone seen both of these? Oh my gosh. I I love these films so much, and it's because they're they're such a great reflection of the way that horror can comment on our on politics of the time and of the actual society of the time, I could probably talk for a solid hour or two just on my own about them. But I think that you're absolutely right that the get out is uh, the, the villain of get out is our white liberals and it's a critique. It's very necessary. I, I will say that I think that Jordan Peele is a, and the success of us and get out are a great example and of why we need a diversity in who gets to tell these horror films. And I think that these movies would have been incredibly different if a white liberal like myself had tried to write them Like you see a great difference between something like People Under the Stairs, which was written and directed by by Wes Craven, versus 
the story, the the horror of what Black Americans are facing as told by a Black American and starring Black actors. And there's so, I'm sure that there are already film theory students that are writing entire dissertations about all of the symbolism within Get Out, everything from the fact that he saves himself by pulling cotton, picking cotton literally from the chair and using a buck, a young buck to <laughs> stab his oppressors to get out of the house. Uh, there's, there's just so, so many wonderful details and I love how all of that works together towards the same message in Get Out as well as in Us. And I think Us has, in some ways, I think it's a bit broader message because the idea is that you have the family that lives above and then the underclass that lives below who do not get any control or any choice, which is both a commentary on minorities in the United States, but also just on economic inequality altogether. And I thought that was one of the most telling things. And again, you have this, you have a lot of references to the eighties to hands across America and the idea that, you know, the eighties was kind of this like wonderful time. That was a period of her childhood and being able to twist that and see that, no, it's not really so happy that, I, I also really personally like the idea in in us that there is sort of this revenge of the lower class and in a way they they win, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, that the tethered are coming to the surface. They are forming the hands across America chain. Your your main family, I guess in a sense, is triumphant because she does defeat her shadow. Well, her shadow is the I was the original surface person. <laughs> but I think that you also, like, I love that there is not the message at the end of that movie that everything's going to be okay. I like that the movie ends with this idea that we have a real reckoning still coming, that maybe your lead characters, your lead actors are safe for now, but this is not this is not over and it shouldn't be over that there's a real injustice that has to be righted with these tethered people coming back to the surface. Also, I just love the murder scene of the white family <laughs> when she says, call the police yeah. and the Alexa <laughs> goes playing, fuck the police. <laughs> I, I've watched the movie a couple times now. I die laughing every time that happens. I think it's just it's again as a as a political comment it's this wonderful idea that the white people expect that their smart device is going to call the police for them but there's no help that's going to come mm -hmm. instead it's just going to play fuck the police I love it I love it yeah definitely one of the best scenes and still to this day Lupita Nyong'o deserved um, an Oscar for her performance, and I will always say that because I'm still pissed that she wasn't even nominated. So, I mean, she had to play two different characters, and in a way she had to play different levels for each character because the whole time 
you don't realize that she is the shadow person that was living beneath you don't realize that the present day the person you're seeing with her family is that shadow person and so just just the levels and the last final look on her face is chilling 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 and really good and and the look on her son's face and everybody in that movie is 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 excellent so yeah yeah okay um angela do you want me to go to you now do you want to or do you want me to go to sasha i'm good so i'm good okay just Rebecca pretty much just say everything I probably wanted to anyway. So, okay, mm-hmm. okay, Sasha. Um, so first of all, Get Out, loved, loved it, loved everything about it, thought it was fabulous. Now I'm about to make a statement that's going to get me forever banned from this podcast, <sighs> and um, did not like us. Here is I know Aaron's face is like what um. Here is why I didn't like us. I didn't like us for the same reason I didn't like The Sixth Sense. Is I figured it out early and it ruined everything for me. Well, I can see that. If you had figured out um, and The Sixth Sense, we're going to talk about that in our Paranormal episode. Because that movie is personally, I love that on a very, 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 very personal level. Right. Um, but I can see if you knew the twist in the sixth sense and if you knew the twist in us beforehand, yep. I can see how that would totally ruin the experience. Yep. Um, yeah. So I can understand and that. It wasn't that anybody. So for both of them, nobody spoiled it for me. Nobody told me the twist. It just there was something in it that made me go, oh, that's totally what's happening. And then from as soon as I had that thought in my head, it was over. I couldn't enjoy the rest of the movie. And so, yeah, the and I know, I'm sorry, Aaron, apologies. And if you never have me back, I totally understand. But I, The Sixth Sense is one of my least favorite movies on the planet because of that. And, um, and I fear that Us is there too. Like, I don't want to rewatch it. I mean, I listened to Rebecca and was like, I didn't see, I didn't get any of that greatness from it. I know. I didn't get any of that greatness because... It was already, I was like, oh, she's not, it's whatever. It became a non-thing. Whereas Get Out, I think, didn't have any of those great twists. It was just a great film. Um, and it had its whole thing. So I maybe I'll have to watch Us again. But it just didn't, it didn't do it for me. And I'm going to stop talking because your faces are like very judgy pants of you are the devil and how can you not love this? <laughs> well, I mean, I can understand if you're thinking the whole time you've figured it out. And I'm curious, did you see the sixth sense before, like after M night Shyamalan's other movies or was it, did you see it when it first came out? No, I I'm saw it curious. when it first came out, but oh, I'm also okay. not an M night fan. I don't like, I think signs is the only movie of his that I like. I don't like his style. I don't like anything about his movies. Well, and I, and I don't like, I, I think the sixth sense is the only film of his that I think is actually truly a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially the village, I think most of his other movies are complete and utter trash um, because he relies so much on that big twist because it worked so well, except for, for Sasha, but it worked so well. Um <laughs> With the sixth sense, the big twist ending there, um, spoiling. The, have you seen the six? Everyone's seen the sixth sense, right? 
Okay. So spoiling for everybody out there, um, you know, the fact that Bruce Willis's character is dead the whole time, that whole reveal and learning that and knowing that really the whole time you're watching that, it was so obvious, but at least for most of us, we didn't see it. Um, but I think that was such a brilliant thing. But then what he did is he went, okay, that worked so well. So I'm going to do that in every single one of my movies. So then the whole time you're just waiting for that twist to be revealed so i think that's the problem with his movies in general i did have fun watching the song watching signs and i still jump every time with the scene where joaquin phoenix's character is in the closet and he's watching the video news feed and then you see the alien walk by in the background (laughs) yes every time every time i still jump and i react just the way that joaquin phoenix's character reacts in that one so yeah yeah but yeah i'm I'm not i'm not a fan of his at all i loved but i loved the sixth sense and we'll get into it more in the in the paranormal episode that sasha is no longer allowed to be on but just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sad face. Just kidding. But I'll talk why that's a very personal movie for me. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, 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 that movie makes me cry. I, it just holds a very, very, very soft spot in my heart. And I wish that he had stayed true to being an actual good director. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyway, um, that's kind of off the subject that we're talking about. But And I said I was going to mention this movie. I kind of want to just briefly, well, because we're going to wrap up here. Um, and I guess Sasha's the only one that's seen The Hunt. But the reason I want to mention The Hunt is The Hunt to me is kind of, I didn't really like The Hunt. I didn't think it was a good movie at all. But it's interesting because it's almost like, uh, in a way, it was written by a Republican. Um, it, and this movie became known because it was supposed to come out in 2019 and because of there was a a shooting that happened at that time i think that i can't remember what mass shooting it was because unfortunately we have so many of them and so they decided they were were going to delay the release and you know you even had people in high up speaking out about this movie um and then you see the movie and um, it, aside from Betty Gilpin just being absolutely amazing in this movie, and I'm still upset that we don't get that final season of Glow. Um, besides that, the movie to me is just kind of a trashy version of The Purge, except it's flipped where this is supposed to be more, you know, like you have all these characters that are supposed to be all the Republicans, um, the quote unquote rednecks, people like that who are being hunted by the liberals. So you kind of have it switched a little bit there. Um, is there anything you want to say about the hunt, Sasha? Um, for me, what I liked was how they chose who they were going to hunt. Like they would go, they were going through people's social media and seeing what they were posting and determining if they were worthy of being hunted. Like, were they so far left leaning that they needed to be removed from society for the betterment of, you know, and then they get one character who kind of slipped through the cracks and wasn't what was really portrayed on the social media. And it blew up in their face, you know? So I, um, and again, I, it's a, it's a carbon copy of that old ice tea movie that I cannot remember the name of. Um, but it's, did you find it, Aaron? 
No. I've been trying to find it. I'm going to go back and try and find it again because I was like, because I was like trying to find a name that would just pop out in my head as being that movie. Was it, how long ago was it? Do you remember? Uh, it was like, I don't know, 90s maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe okay. before the 90s. Okay. Yeah. See, I stopped looking at that point. So I'll go back. Yeah. Back. Yeah. It's an older one. Um, but it's that same premise of us versus them again right like that's i think all of the political horror movies come down to us versus them um and so that one was definitely an us versus them that didn't go in favor of uh us as the people who were hunting (laughs) the thems kind of took over um so it was very interesting to watch that one just from a you could it was very clearly the right versus the left. I think, I think I okay, was it, um, okay, I know I was so late to this, was it a movie where it was the liberal that was, like, killing what it thought, oh, okay, I watch it. It I just came out. It just, it just came out. It was, it was one of the ones that was yep. uh, during this when they would release things like theater at home. It was one of those. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I just I just have to like you just have to like tell me what was the because I didn't remember the name, but I I watched it cause, and then yeah sorry I don't know why it was oh, I was no. late to the story I just have to like remember what it was I was like wait that sounds familiar I w- remember watching a movie where you know the conservative was like the victim here and kill and it was being killed by the liberal and then they chose someone that was like. I don't think she was conservative. Like they saw someone like she was just my. She was neither. If I remember. Yeah, I think it was like they mistaked her for a. Yep. They mistook her for another person. Um, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. she was the smartest person, and she was really kind of a final girl in a lot of ways. Yeah. Her um, scene in the convenience store with like her whole oh, justification yeah. about the pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. killed me, because yeah. it was like. Well, clearly we're not here because this, this, like this rapper and the Surgeon General warning, like she just paid attention. She had like a Sherlock moment, you know, like mm-hmm. in Sherlock where he sees everything. She had yeah. a Sherlock moment and just went, Brrr, this is why we're not where you say we are. That's why this whole thing is a fraud and you all are crazy. Yeah, and it's also it also talks a lot about you know the underground conspiracy theories and you know that that you know even like QAnon you know it kind of reflects like okay well they're the underground conspiracy theory of that liberals are hunting us and it actually is real so it, it plays into that too. Um, I the reason I didn't like it is. I don't think it was really so much the fact that it, it flipped it and had liberals hunting the conservatives. It was more, I don't know. It was just kind of cheaply done in my opinion, but I loved her. I thought Betty Gilpin was, she is fantastic. She is such a good actor and it still makes me sad that we won't get to see that final season of glow because she's so good in that show. Um, but yeah, so I liked her a lot. I, li- I liked how smart she was. Um, and I liked watching her. It was just overall, I just wasn't a fan. And I found that movie, Sasha. Yep, I just <laughs> found it too, Surviving the Game. Yeah, and it has Gary Busey in it and Rutger, How- Rutger Hauer and yep. Charles Dutton and F. Murray Abraham. Oh, my God. 
Yep. It's Surviving the Game, 1994. And it's... Yeah, so Ice-T was a homeless guy living on the streets, and then he is offered a job as a hunting guide for a group of wealthy clients. He gladly signs on and is taken to a cabin in the middle of the Pacific Northwest forest. And then he meets all the white dudes. And the next morning, he is awakened to learn that he is the prey that they will be hunting. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that I, I'm i pretty sure I'm the only person on the planet that saw that movie. But, has but it's a, uh, stuck with me. It has a 6.2 rating on IMDb from users. Um, yeah. Give it a go. Interesting. Yeah, it, it looks like you can rent it for... One ninety nine on Prime Video. So <laughs> there you go. Okay, we're we're gonna top wrap quality. Top quality. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna wrap things up and just have everybody say where they can be found if they want to be found. Angela. Hi. So, um, Angela here. Uh, just find me on. Uh, I guess just my Instagrams. T o dot k h o n g. Awesome. Thank you. And Rebecca? This is Rebecca Jacobson again. I do not tweet much, but if you would like to tweet at me and have a conversation about reproductive politics and horror movies, that's clearly where my area of expertise is. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Jacobson. It's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N. And we could talk all about it there. Awesome. And if you haven't already, Rebecca, I just want to briefly mention this movie to you because it kind of goes into it. There's there's this movie called Grace and it's she's um, feeding her child something that's not milk. (laughs) (laughs) You should definitely see it's from 2009. Um, Yeah, it's 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 a good one. It's a good one. It's a very interesting one. But yeah, it just made me think of that. So, yeah. And. Hi, Sasha. Hi. Not going to happen. I'm staying incognito this week. It will happen soon. Stay tuned. It, well, I don't know if you're coming back on because of your oh. your views on, on us. Well, then I may not return because of us. Um, so, yeah, I, I will remain incognito, but my I will plug, uh, please get out and vote. I have uh, already voted. You can vote early. We're in the state of Colorado where we have mail-in ballots. It's the only way you can vote. Uh, Like, they send them to you. It's fabulous. You have all the time in the world to read everything you need to read and Google all the things. And they give you a blue book that tells you all the things. And uh, I don't, it didn't really answer for me about the werewolves when we're voting on if we're reintroducing wolves to Colorado. But uh, vote early. Yes. Yes. Agree. Echo that. Echo that. And our two ads that played in between the break um, that Carla and I recorded are about other ways that you can, you know, be prepared to vote. So, yes, definitely do that. Mm-hmm. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, um, any horror films you want to get a quick shout out to before we wrap things up, feel free to email us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. 
And also, please rate and review us. Follow us on all your favorite uh, podcast platforms, but please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because that helps us get found. Um, I will say our audience just keeps growing and it's growing quicker and I really appreciate that. And we are listened to in like 64 countries. So that to me is awesome. So thank you very much to everyone who is listening out there. And on our next episode, we're going to be talking about vampires. And I am very, very excited about that because I love that genre so much. And of course, we're going to be talking about a a lot about sexuality because that's what vampires are about mainly. So that'll be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.